Lord's just uh, really doing a work this morning, it sounds like. Our hearts have been challenged. Uh, if you miss, if you started in Sunday school, you, uh, you were stirred with the passion of a young 22-year-old young man who got saved when he was 14, and he's just excited about giving his life to the Lord and, and uh, being an evangelist and preaching and, and uh, stirring up the church, and uh, he stirred us up in Sunday school, and then uh, with all the different things that have been happening in the morning service already, uh, the Rowls, what a great, uh, te- you know, great uh, song that was that uh, brought our hearts to the feet of the Lord, and the song service that's just reminded us of what it's all about. Uh, Daniel again sharing testimony, and then Brother Dennis. So uh, we're just going to kind of shift gears, if you don't mind, on the fly. And so we're in Acts chapter 16. Uh, we're going to read verses 30, uh, 29, 30, and 31. Acts chapter 16. I guess I didn't tell you the chapter, huh? Since everybody's turning. Acts chapter 16. It says, Then he called for a light, verse 29, and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Father, help us to today to uh, challenge uh, our own hearts through your word. To allow you to burden us and to convict us and to uh, drive us to be uniquely changed because of what your word is doing in our hearts this morning. I pray that we would not fall into that category of those who come into church one way and leave the same way. Uh, I ask that you would uh, remind us of the souls of men and the need for the lower lights to shine forth. May we fulfill your command to let our light so shine before men. And Father, we will thank and praise you now for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you know someone that uh, you know someone personally? I'm not saying you're aware of someone, uh, but you know someone personally who, as far as you know, if they were to die before this service ends, they would spend eternity separated from God in hell. How many of you know someone like that? Okay, so that's pretty much everybody. I don't know, but uh, pretty much everybody. Uh, that's kind of where, you know, uh, my heart's been stirred this morning, challenged to, to step up a little bit uh, with that. And I, I come to this uh, passage in Acts chapter 16. has always fascinated me to see this story because uh, uh, you know, I've been a pastor for, been your pastor for near, nearly 30 years now. And um, I've been in ministry for more than you need to know, a long time. And uh, in, in all of that time, in all of that time, I can count on one hand the number of times that someone has come to me and said, can you tell me how I can be saved? I mean, that's a rare occasion. It just doesn't happen very often. And on every single one of those times, in my experience, it has been because someone else has spent a lot of time Sowing seed, watering seed, and getting them ready. And I just happened to be the one that they came to and said. You know, and many times, that same person who's planting and sowing seed actually brought them to me as pastor or youth pastor and said, you know, they have a question for you. It just seldom ever happens that someone comes to us 
and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so as I look at this story, I'm reminded to ask this question. What took place in this jailer's heart and life that we know about that brought him to the place where he was on his knees before Paul and Silas saying, please, tell me what it is you have that I'm missing. And I'm going to challenge you with this concept that is because Paul and Silas were letting the lower lights shine. You see the idea? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, we are to let our light so shine before men that they might do what? See our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. I mean, the real truth is, I'm aware that the word of God all by itself is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I know that God doesn't need us. But it's an amazing thing, the, the economy that God's worked out is he allows us to either add or detract from the power of the gospel. We can allow our light to so shine before men and they seeing that light are caused to glorify the Father which is in heaven. And the challenge is, keep reading in Matthew chapter 5, if we hide our light under a bushel, then the effectiveness of the light is not only diminished, but completely cut off. So we are not to hide our light, but to let it shine before men. So I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and look at what happened. We know very little about this jailer. Uh, But look at what happened that we do know. And let's see if we can find out what brought this jailer to the place where he would fall on his knees and say, please, tell me what I must do to have eternal life. So we need to back up the story. Uh, It goes all the way back to verse 11. I'll just kind of walk you through the story, talking about it, and then we'll come back into reading it in just a moment. So it says they loose from Troas and... They go down and they meet, of course, you already know this, when they meet Lydia, the seller of purple, and, and she gets saved, and wonderful things are beginning to happen all through this passage of Scripture. But then you go on down to verse 17, it says, uh, or let's start at verse 16, I'm sorry, and it says, And it came to pass that as he went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by her soothsaying. So, you know, what you have is this demon-possessed girl who is using this demon, or the demon's using her, to tell people things that they want to find out, and they're using this uh, spirit of divination, and and somebody's getting rich off of this girl. They're making a lot of money. And in verse 18 it says, And she did this, and this she did, many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out of her, or came out the same hour. In verse 19, it says, And when your masters saw that their hope, that, I'm sorry, that the hope of their gain was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, did exceeding, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. Verse 22 says, And the multitude rose up together against them, 
and the magistrates rent their clothes and commanded, what does it say? To beat them. Now I want you to start watching and paying attention because at this point is where the jailer enters the story. The, at least the awareness of what's going on is part of where the jailer is. The, the law is now getting involved and they're going to bring Paul and Silas in and they're going to beat them. Now, I want to challenge you with this. I don't think that there's anybody in this room. Well, I don't know Daniel, I guess. But I don't think there's anybody in this room that's been beaten because of their Christian testimony. I may be wrong. If I am, you can correct me after the service. I don't think we're there in America quite yet. Maybe getting there someday, but I don't think we're there in America quite yet. But I do know that there are many in this room who life has beaten up. All right, we have many people who are suffering with cancer sitting right here. We have many people who have uh, devastating health situations that are taking place. We have many of you who have, at least in our minds, prematurely buried someone that you love. We have many sitting in this room who life has at many times and maybe right now just beaten you to a pulp and left you bleeding and for dead. That's what life has done. And what we do with those moments is crucial. And you're going to see why in this chapter. So the first thing that happens is Paul and Silas are taken away because of what they're doing, and they're beaten. Watching what Paul and Silas do in response to the difficulties that they face is going to be very important to get us to chapter to verse 29, 30, and 31. Look what it says. Verse 23. And when they had laid, what does it say? Many stripes. So now with that terminology, they're being beaten, and it's many stripes. At least in your mind, how are they being beaten? With a whip. If we kind of just know the era in which this is existing... That whip was probably a cat of nine tails. I mean, remember that story, right, with Jesus? We've, we've had those before, right? This era, this is, not, this is not just a, you shouldn't do that. You know, this isn't, they, they were not given a time out. Paul and Silas are beaten, and they're beaten with many stripes. That's what the Bible says. Keep reading what it says. They cast them into prison. By the way, how many of you have been to Rome and seen this prison? Three of us, okay? Four of us. It, if you get a chance to go, you need to go. It really, it is, it's fascinating to watch. But this is, this is not prison like we think of prison. We are, our prisoners in 21st century America go any place in the country. Our prisoners are spoiled, right? They are. Uh, they have rights. My opinion is that the idea of prison is that you have surrendered your rights. That's my idea of a prison. You know, I think prison ought to be a place you never want to go back to. And uh, now I'm not suggesting that we be cruel and inhumane, right? The, the Constitution actually speaks toward that. We're not allowed to do those things. But you know, I am suggesting that it ought not to be like a stay in a hotel. And uh, so our prisons today don't look anything like what prison was. Um, prison during this time 
would have been damp and cold, bugs and rats infested. Uh, it's likely that when, you, when those chains created open sores, that you were getting help with those sores, with all kinds of other critters that are living in this prison. Nothing like a prison that you and I might think about. So they now have many stripes laid upon them, and now they're thrown into a prison, which we would call a dungeon, because it's cavernous, and it's a cold and damp, and it would be like what we would refer to as a dungeon. So here they are. And so it cast them into prison, charging the... Oh, here it is. Charging who? The jailer. To keep them... I love this word. I just love this word. To keep them safely? <laughs> All right, I don't think safety is the biggest issue that's being spoken of here. What he's saying is you keep them tight. You do not let them escape, right? That's the idea. That's what it means to keep them safely. Not like, don't let them get hurt. Make sure they don't you know, stub their toe. No, no. That's American prisons. This is not that, all right? So, but he, they charge this jailer. So the jailer has been now privy to these things that have gone on, and he is now in charge of these prisoners. Which brings us to verse 25, and it brings us to the challenge that we face. If we are going to see revival in our churches, and if we are going to see God use us to reach lost people, since almost everyone here has some reason to say life has been beating me up at some point. Right? Almost everyone here has something, some occasion in which life has treated you unfairly. You know, and our, our saying around here is life's not fair and then you die. All right. So uh, I, I mean God where, where in the Bible does God say life's going to be fair? In fact, it's the total opposite, right? Jesus says, if you follow me, men will hate you and curse you and say all, do all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. You know, God doesn't promise fair on this side of eternity. And you better be glad, because if we got what we deserved, we'd be in trouble. Uh, but life's not fair, all right? So uh, what, do we, what we do at that moment is really going to be important because... It's our, our greatest opportunity to let our light so shine before men. Uh, I, I was challenged whenever, remember when um, um, Bree and Andy uh, Gleiser were here. She was, they were here the Sunday after she had found out she has cancer. And if you've been following them on Facebook, cancer is really getting, uh, I mean, it's, beating, it's taking a toll on her. She's real thin when she was already real thin, but now she's really real thin and I think she's going to beat this, but, you know, it's just not fun. But do you remember what they said when they were here? They said, we, we look at it this way. Cancer doctors need to hear the gospel. And who's going to have a chance to talk to them? When else would we ever have a chance to talk to this cancer doctor? Wow, what a great challenge, right? That, that's exactly the way we should look at the circumstances that life puts us into. This is where Paul and Silas are. Take a look at verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas griped and complained and whined and begged to be loosened. It's not what it says, is it? So at your midnight, at my midnight, what are we doing? 
Life's not fair. We're going through a circumstance we don't want to be in. What are we doing? Because at that moment, our jailer, whether it's your brother-in-law or one of your children or somebody you work with or some neighbor that you don't even know is watching, Paul and Silas have no idea what the jailer's doing. But what we do at our midnight is going to determine the impact of the gospel message that we share with so many around us. Look at verse 25 again. It says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Now help me out for a moment. You've just been beaten. You've been separated from everybody. You're in a nasty, stinky, spider-infested, Darren, where's Darren, is he here? You know, rat-infested place. Tell me, please, what does Paul and Silas's praise sound like? What do you think they are praising God for at this moment? I, we're going to guess, all right? The Bible doesn't tell us. There's no wrong answer here. So tell me, what's something Paul and Silas are praising God for here? Oh, Father, thank you for the privilege to suffer on your behalf. Okay? What else might they be praising God for? That they're still alive. Hey, they, you know, by the way, the only time we can praise on this planet is when we're still alive, right? Might be able to praise in eternity, but right now, if, if we don't do it now, it's not going to happen. Do you understand the idea? It's now or never. So, yeah, praise the Lord, they're still alive. What else? That they're able to be there and share. Brother Bill. Praising the Lord for the faith that they have, that... Praise him for eternal life. Praising him for letting Christ come and die for their sins. Praising him. You can keep going, right? It also says that they're praying. Now, this is just your pastor's opinion. The Bible doesn't tell us. My opinion is they're not praying like this. God, get me out of this mess. That's more like your pastor. Okay, I'm just being honest, all right? When I find myself at my midnight all too often, when I fall on my face before God, it's not praise. But when you put prayer and praise together, then it makes it difficult for the prayer to sound like, I don't want to be here, get me out. Right? In my mind, I envision it this. God, please bless that woman who was demon-possessed that now you've stepped into her life and help her to be a good testimony. And those guys who sold us into this jail... Lord, please convict their hearts through her and let them see the gospel of Jesus Christ shining through. Lord, be with these leaders, these rulers that have thrown us into prison. Work in their hearts. Lord, if it be your will to get us out of here so we can share the gospel with them, that would be... That's in my mind what I envision because I don't see praise coming along after complaint. Do you understand? Not that it's wrong to ask God to get you out of a circumstance. If you, I'm, I can prove that. Read the Psalms and see how often David prayed to be taken out of a circumstance. 
It's not wrong to pray that. But in this circumstance, when praise and prayer are being put together, it's difficult to find that transition quickly, right? Lord, get me out of here. Thank you for letting me be here. Lord, get me out of here. Thank you. It just doesn't work that way. What you see is at midnight, at the worst moment, when all hope seems to be gone, Paul and Silas are responding in a very unique way of prayer and praise unto God. Look what it says. And the prisoners, what? Heard them. Now, we can't prove by this verse that the jailer heard. We can't prove by this verse that the jailer heard. We can only see the results. And knowing that the prisoners are hearing and where the jailer is, putting a lot together, and uh, it makes some sense. Let's keep reading. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that found the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's, this is an amazing thing, everyone's bands were loosed. Now, I don't know how all of that happens, you know. I, I would think that if you're shaking my body hard enough to release the bands, it would do some, you know, you'd think it hurt. But uh, this is what happens. Now, I'm going to prove to you why I don't believe they were saying when they're in their prayers, Lord, get us out of here. Because what didn't they do? They didn't leave. You see this? What Paul and Silas and the company that were with them did not do, when the doors were opened and their bands were loose, they did not leave. If at midnight we want to be used of God, we have to keep our focus where His focus is. Where is the focus of God throughout all of the Scripture? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Right? The focus of God has been on us since the garden. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if at our midnight we can remember that there are prisoners, and I love this Analogy because it is exactly right. Trapped in sin and trapped in an eternity without God. Literally held prisoner. And if we can remember that there are prisoners hearing us. Watching. Who need to see the lower lights lest they crash and perish. That there are prisoners and perhaps jailers who might be watching what we're doing as we march ourselves in for another cancer treatment or as we march ourselves to a funeral home or as we march ourselves to an infertility clinic, as we march wherever it is and we're going through our burden and our difficulty. And if at those moments we can remember the heart of God, we might find ourselves 
singing and praising and praying. And it's an amazing thing that happens here. Look at verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself. He has lost all hope. There's nothing left for him. He is gonna, he's going to die one way or another, right? These guys are going to escape, or have escaped. And he's going to be killed for making, uh, messing up on his post. And so he's in trouble. And the keeper of the prison is about to commit suicide when Paul and Silas proved to us that they had not left. Look what it says. Verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are... By the way, it's more than just Paul and Silas. It's Paul and Silas and whoever the company is with them. Because it says, For we are all here. Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. All too often, when we're over here sulking at our midnight, whining, griping, and complaining that life hasn't been fair to us, people passing us by who need to hear the gospel are not being told. Because our focus is on us, it's on self, it's on our circumstance, it's on what we don't like, and we're missing the golden opportunity that God has literally placed us there for. I'm of the opinion that Paul and Silas got beaten and thrown in prison for one reason, so that a Philippian jailer could say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow. It's powerful. Our midnight is for a purpose. And if we will be careful, so they're like, do thyself no harm. We are all here. Verse 29. Then he calls for a light. And comes in, trembling, and falls down on his face before Paul and Silas. And says, I don't know what you've got, but I know now, I need it. I need it. Tell me how I can have a heart that would sing out of prison at midnight. And if we will allow God to use our lower light, to use the light that shines before men, we might have the privilege of saying to our own Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Wow. What an incredible opportunity. Think that might bring revival into churches? In, by the way, the idea that uh, Daniel was sharing with us in Sunday school is, you know, don't walk in and leave the same way. It doesn't mean that you don't use the same door. It means that we ought to, that coming in contact with the Word of God ought to change us. Amen? Because it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it never returns but always accomplishes the work that it was sent to do. Coming in contact with the Word of God ought to change us. How dare us step into the presence of God's Word and leave unchanged. 
in this particular morning, the change ought to be this. God, give me joy at midnight. Burden my heart with the souls of men such that when life deals me a blow, I'm conscious of the souls around me. And with that, God would revive the church and save many lost. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm all about that. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please.